Well, if you can grab your Bibles and open them up to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 for our study this morning. And uh, I'm excited to get into this. This is um, actually maybe some darker chapters because we're going to be talking about the devil and uh, God's overview of things here. And in this chapter, we're going to find out a lot of things. But this morning... Revelation chapter 12, let's begin with a word of prayer. Jesus, we truly want to be where you are, God. We just want to sit at your feet, God, to be in your presence, Lord. There's nothing compared, Lord, to that. God, to drink of your living water, and that's what we thirst for this morning. And God, I pray that for all of us here this morning, for those connected online, God, we cry out to you because we are dry and we are thirsty, Lord. God, we need you so much in our lives, and we need to hear from you. We need to hear your voice, and I pray, God, that your spirit would anoint this time, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to you, God, and and to really what's going on, Lord, all over, Lord, and who's behind the scenes, God, that we would not be foolish in, 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 in just thinking differently, God, but we would see the truth in your word. So I pray, God, that you would truly use this time, Lord, to speak to us, to transform us, God, and to help us to walk, Lord, in you. So I pray for your anointing now by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The shortest war in history was between the British and Zanzibar. It's a small island off of Africa, and it was on August 25th, 1896. And the shortest war lasted 40 minutes. What happened is the sultan, who was not cooperating with the British, the new sultan who took over from the previous one who died, uh, Britain didn't like that, so they came in with force, but the forces, the sultan's forces, their army were no match, and the war was done by, they say, 940 a.m., 40 minutes long. But in contrast, the longest war in history was between the Netherlands and the Isles of Scilly. Uh, It's these islands off the south coast of England there, south um, west coast of England. And that war, get this, the longest war in history, it lasted 335 years. It was from 1651 to 1986. I never knew this, but what happened was when the losing side, there was a civil war going on in England, when the losing side retreated to the Iosili, the Dutch Navy went to battle them, declaring war against this island nation. Well, soon after that, like immediately after that, the civil war in England was over, and the Dutch left the island and forgot all about their declaration of war until 1985 when it was realized that, well, they were still at war with the island, Isles of Scilly and they were never, it was never legally declared to be over. So that's how it lasted so long. So the war officially ended on April 17, 1986 and when the Netherlands and the, the nation or the Isles of Scilly signed the peace treaty 335 years later, and so thus it became the longest war in history. They said there wasn't hardly really any casualties, because early on there was a little bit, but some even say there's no casualties, no missiles were shot or anything in this crazy, the longest war in history. It's interesting to me, but it made me think about there is another war that's been waging even longer than that. As we return to our study in the book of Revelation, we find that there's been a battle going on for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, for a long, long time. It's been Satan waging a long war against God, against his chosen, against the, God's people, the nation of Israel. And so that's what we're going to see. But we're going to see that he will continue to try and destroy them all the way till Jesus returns. So I titled our message this morning, The Long War of Satan. 
the long war of Satan. Now, God's going to give us a little overview, overview of what's been going on. And there's, this, there's been this long war going on, and thus that's why I titled this, The Long War of Satan. We're going to be studying Revelation chapter 12 now. I know we finally finished chapter 11, and we're going to be taking a look at verses 1 through 6. 1 through 6 today. And our outline is this, and this is the main players we're going to see. And number one is the woman, number two, the dragon, and number three, the child. And this is what will unfold to us in the main players during this long war that's been going on. So first of all, take a look with me, and number one in our outline is the woman. We're going to find, about, find out about this woman, the woman. We're going to be covering verse 1 and 2 in this section. But first of all, take a look at verse 1 with me here. Verse 1, Revelation chapter 1 reads, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. So we'll stop right there. Now, John the Apostle is introducing to us this this vision really what he's seen he he says a great sign appearing in heaven so at this point god reveals to him this great sign in heaven to me it's like he's looking up at heaven right and god maybe opens up this huge screen 65 inch samsung screen no it's probably bigger than that right it's not samsung it's god's led state-of-the-art screen but he's showing john this this great sign this vision on this huge screen and john sees this woman and he describes this woman now before we go on and and before we get into what all this means i want you to understand something god is here stopping things right now explaining something here now, if you remember, we, last week we ended the chapter and we saw the sounding of the seventh trumpet. And we know when the seventh trumpet sounds, out come the seven bowl judgments, right? And I mentioned to you last week, we're not going to see that till later, like chapter 15, 16. But in between now, God, God is explaining some things about what's going on. And we know with the sounding of that seventh trumpet, we learned that this marked the transfer of power, right, from Satan to Jesus. And you can catch the, the message on our YouTube channel or, or our MP3 uh, podcast or off on our, on our website there. And, and we saw lots of worship because, wow, this is it. This is the end. This is the end of evil and Satan and all that coming to the end with the sounding of the seven trumpet and because the seven bowls are going to be poured out. Well, before we see all of this go on, God gives us this overview, basically. He wants us to understand what's been happening, what, how we got to this point, basically, and, 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 and evil in the world. But God's going to stop that evil and end all that evil with Jesus Christ. But he wants to give this overview of what this whole war with evil has been about. And, and that kind of gives you this idea of what we're getting into. Because this war with Satan and the demons, it's going to come to a peak here during the bowl of judgment. It's going to come, it comes to a peak during the tribulation time, and it ends with Christ coming back, as we've been talking about. So God gives this overview of this war with evil and what, what, what it's all about. Okay, so as we get into this passage and even this chapter... God shows John on, this, on that big screen in heaven a great sign. Notice it says sign. It's a great sign. It's huge, a, a huge screen, I would say, but a sign. And, and the idea, meaning this is an image. This is symbolic to something. And that's how to really approach this passage here we're looking at. I mean, it makes sense, as we read, like no woman would actually be dressed in a gown of the sun, right? And, and, and on a pedestal of the moon and a crown, you know, a, a crown of, of stars on, on her head, like for her tiara. No, this is all symbolic here. And so God lets us know that this is a great sign. Now, there's been women mentioned that we've seen already in Revelation. And in Revelation, they're going to mention some more women. And they are symbolic also. 
We saw back in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, Jezebel was brought up, who really symbolized the influence of evil and wickedness that had been brought into the church. That, that's what she did into that church. Later, we're going to see in Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, there's a great prostitute, or old King James's harlot, right? Which symbolizes the false religion that is going to be upon the world. And in Revelation 19, we see the bride of the Lamb, which symbolizes who? You guys know. The church, right? We are the bride of Christ, the church. So as we come into this passage, here's this woman. And who does this woman symbolize here? Well, here's the first thing you got to see. The woman symbolizes the people of Israel. The woman symbolizes the people of Israel. Now, a lot of this, we're going to go back to the Old Testament, but like in, in Micah chapter 4, verse 10, God called Israel a woman in labor. So there we see her as a woman. Even in Isaiah 54, verse 5, the first part, God told Israel, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. So we understand from the Old Testament that Israel was symbolized, was pictured as a woman, as a wife, and even later when they, they strayed from God, right? When they went after other idols, God called them his adulterous wife, right? So, so we see here this, this woman is Israel. Now, there's, there's, there's something else that helps us understand that. And it's this description that we just saw, that she's clothed with the sun, that she's gloriously clothed with the sun, that, that she, she has the moon under her feet, and there's stars as a crown, 12 stars even, as a crown on top of her head. Well, John would see this, and John would immediately, being this Jewish person, right, Think of a passage in the Old Testament. This description of this woman connects to the dream of Joseph. And that's another reason why we, we, we see this as Israel. Go ahead and turn to Genesis. We're in the last book of the Bible. Turn to the first book of the Bible to Genesis chapter 37. And I want you to see this. Genesis 37, chapter 37, and we're just going to take a peek at verses 9 and 10 here. Genesis 37, verses 9 and 10. Here we find Joseph now. He dreamed a dream, and he's, he's telling yeah, his family about the dream. He says in Genesis 37, verse 9, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said in verse 10, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to, you, to the ground before you? So we understand that, that what this dream meant. I mean, um, Jacob, the father, whose name was changed to Israel, remember, he understood what this meant. This dream of, of, of the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowing down to Joseph. He understood what? I, I, I think Joseph saw himself as a son. And, and the mother, uh, the, the moon, the mother, and the brothers are the 11 stars, and Joseph is the one other star. But in general, all of this, it, it spoke about Israel, right? The family going to bow down to Joseph one day. And we know that happened eventually when Joseph later on became second to Pharaoh. And because of the famine, the family ended up there in Egypt and bowed down to Joseph as he was in that position of authority. So we know this dream came true. But this image, the sun, the moon, the, the stars, 12 stars, right, including Joseph, that points to Israel, the people of Israel. So the woman very clearly here talks about the people of Israel. Now, go, let's go on to verse 2 now, back to Revelation 12. So the woman is Israel. Connecting to Joseph's dream, the Old Testament. We go on to verse 2 now. 
Here in Revelation 12, too, it says, She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, the woman is pregnant. Israel is pregnant. And, and who's going to come forth? Who, who's, who's this baby? Well, we're, we're going to see later that the child is the Messiah. It's the Messiah. We know that Jesus came out of the Jewish nation, right? Matt, the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 in Luke, it tells us that Jesus was a descendant, right, of Abraham, yeah? of a descendant of David as prophesied, that he came out of the tribe of Judah, Judah uh, same as Joseph and Mary, uh, or Mary, uh, you know, his parents there, right? So Jesus is Jewish. So we know out of the nation will come the Messiah. So here this woman, Israel, is pregnant uh, with a baby, and that would be the Messiah. Now, she, it says here that the woman is pregnant, and she's crying out in, in birth pains and agony. She's in labor pains. Well, this symbolizes how Israel agonized for centuries, waiting for the deliverer, waiting for the Messiah to come. Why? To destroy the evil and wickedness, to get rid of the oppression and to bring in the kingdom of God. And, and this, is, this is what the labor pains is talking about. So this woman is Israel, waiting for the Messiah to come, waiting for the Messiah to come, bring salvation, deliverance, the kingdom of God, the end of evil. So this is the overview that God is giving here. Now some say, like the Catholic Church, they say that uh, this woman, it really all speaks of, uh, the woman is Mary, and it's the mother of Jesus who gives birth to the Son of God, the Messiah, and that, that's who this woman is. And and yeah, sort of, but later on, it doesn't make sense because the woman has to flee into the wilderness, as, as we'll see later in verse 6, for a certain amount of time. So um, to me, I, I, I don't know about that. I think as we connect it to Joseph's dream, this woman is Israel. Some even say the woman is a church in general, but you never see the church described in the Bible as being pregnant only as the bride of Christ, besides a pregnant bride of Christ, would not be right. <laughs> I mean, the church isn't married yet at all. I was, I was cracking up at, 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 well, not cracking up, but I was thinking about this too. The Christian Science Church, which is an oxymoron, Christian and science, because they're not Christian at all. There's no Christian doctrines in there. And there's, they don't base anything on science either. But they believe this woman is the founder of Christian science, uh, this woman in Revelation chapter 12. And her name, by the way, is Mary Baker Eddie Patterson Grover Fry. I guess she got married a lot. But I want you to know here, the woman is Israel, and a woman in labor pain symbolizes Israel waiting in affliction for the Messiah to come to deliver them, to bring an end to evil. So this, this, is, this is a sign. This is what it symbolizes. This is the picture here. You know, last, last week, um, last weekend, I remember um, I saw the, the, you guys saw the flood watch, you know, come up, right? And, and it, uh, the other day, and you know what? I was so happy. I mean, I'm, that's not to minimize those of you who are in flood zones and could incur, you know, a lot of damage there. But I was happy. I live in Pukalani, right? Puka, no rain, yeah? You guys in Mako Haiku, yeah, yeah, you guys are okay. But, you know, I told Jared, like, when it started raining, you know, this week, I, was, I told Jared, hey, God doesn't want our lawn and plants to die. And he's washing my car for me, you know, kind of thing, right? Because under the water restriction of this drought, right, $500 for non-essential activities like wash a car or, or watering the lawn, and our lawn was totally brown. You know what's crazy? The weeds survived this, right? The, yeah, I think <laughs> weeds are evil, yeah, part of the curse there. But, but I, I, I thought, wow, I couldn't wait to see our lawn green again. And it's green actually now. And it's so nice to see that. And it's, it's not just the weeds. <laughs> it, it's nice, right? Right to, Oh, look at the plants. It's nice. Oh, at least my truck got a li little clean here. Well, that's the same idea. That's in a similar way. 
As we were waiting, or I was waiting in affliction for the rain to come, so was Israel. Israel was waiting for the Messiah to come, the end of the oppression of evil that's been flourishing. And you know what? I think we're in that place of affliction and pain too, right? And suffering as we wait for Jesus to come and end the evil and wickedness going on in this world. I mean, my, my heart went, you know, so much for, for the, our soldiers, right? who died in that suicide bombing we saw this week, just a few days ago. And even the Afghanistans who died, right? Because someone came in and, and brought this bombing, you know, and killed themselves. And they took all these people. It's like, how, how senseless that is. How crazy that is, right? To kill people like that. And we, and we got to pray for, for them. We got to pray for the people. We got to pray for the safety of our own troops and, and Americans still coming out and the Afghanistan people and especially the Christians there. I've been reading how many, many have been evacuated and uh, uh, Christians are going in. Some have gone in and helped them come out. But we got to pray. And I was also reading on this persecution site that. Um, that, that some have opted to stay secretly be a Christian because it's like 99.7% uh, Islamic there. And with the Taliban coming in, their, their lives are threatened and you know, family might even turn them in, but they want to be a light and even put themselves in danger to share Jesus with anyone they can. And what a heart, you know. So we got to pray because there's evil going on and wickedness going on where people are killing Christians and just people in, in general. I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm in affliction, yeah, too, waiting for the Lord to come back. And it's been, hasn't been, hasn't it, been a long time waiting to the end of all this, the end of the long war of Satan. Let's go on now. We're going to take a look at the dragon, number two, the dragon. And here we're going to cover verse three and verse four. But first of all, verse three, Revelation chapter 12, it says here, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and on his heads, seven diadems. So we'll stop there. Now, this is another sign. First, a woman clothed the sun, standing on the moon, the tiara of 12 stars on her head. We know that's Israel, and she, she's pregnant. She's in affliction, labor pains for the Messiah. And so here's another sign. Here, here's something else John sees. John sees on this screen this great red dragon. Great, the Greek word is mega. He's huge. He's powerful. It's interesting, the, the Bible even speaks of dragons or leviathans in the Old Testament, and perhaps it was referencing maybe, yeah, there, there was actually maybe a, a real creature. Some believe that maybe they're like leftover dinosaurs, you know, uh, back then. But here's a, a, a dragon now, a red dragon. Red speaks of how deadly this being is. So who is this dragon? Take a big guess. Satan, exactly. This is the devil. This is Satan. The dragon symbolizes Satan. He's a second player here in God's overview. Take a peek at Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Look down to verse 9. We know that the dragon is Satan because God tells us here in verse 9. It says, The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, ties us to Genesis, right? Who is called, what? The devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now we're going to be covering that next week. But we know clearly from the scripture that this dragon symbolizes Satan. The dragon symbolizes Satan. Well, look up back at verse 3 again. What, what's this description now? The seven heads, right? Uh, in verse 3, his ten horns and his heads, on top of his head was the seven diadems or, or crowns. Well, first of all, the number seven, we know it's the number of completion, right? 
heads here speak of his dominion, his role over uh, the, the kingdoms, and there's seven heads. So he, this speaks of his dominion, his complete, I should say, dominion over seven world empires. Now, we're going to cover more of that it's, it, when we get to Revelation chapter 17 and we see the beast, the Antichrist and all. But for now, understand that the seven heads represents how Satan rule or his dominion over the seven world empires in the history of the earth. Like, first of all, Egypt. Uh, secondly, Assyria. Thirdly was Babylon. You remember the fourth? world empire, Medo-Persia, right? We, we covered this in, in Daniel. Uh, the fifth is Greece, sixth is Rome, but the seventh is still to be yet to come, but we see it setting up today in our lifetime, and that's that last world empire that's going to be ruled by the Antichrist. So God is telling us that the dragon has these seven heads, yeah, and, and that represents how his, he has dominion over these seven world empires that uh, uh, the seventh one come to be, but all these seven world empires. Secondly, the ten horns. There's ten horns. It speaks of the last world empire, zeros in on that, that was made up of that revival of the ten nations from the old Roman Empire. Again, Daniel chapter 7 was prophesied in that. Again, we're, we're going to be seeing that in the coming chapters when we talk about the Antichrist. So here's Satan who's even intimately involved in that last world empire. So there's a, there's a focus in on that. And then thirdly, we see the seven diadems or seven crowns on top of the seven heads. And they really zero in on and symbolize on Satan's complete power he holds over these empires. Like Satan is behind all the evil coming out of the governments. He, he, he's in control. He's the one that's doing all this. So we see here the dragon or Satan holds a powerful control over the oppressive and unjust political systems in the world. And, and you think about, oh yeah, well that explains it, right? The evil in the world and how he can influence and tempt the sinful flesh of man and leaders and governments to, to, to do this evil, to oppress, to be unjust yeah, in leadership, in government. Jesus said in John 12, 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And he was talking about Satan there. He is the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians talks about. He is the ruler of, of the world today. He, he has free reign and he has control over the governments. You know, I, was, I stopped here and it made me think about how we have to understand Underneath, you know, the, the, the laws and policies and the actions that are being made in government, in governments in the world, in the Taliban, you know, doing their thing, and in these countries underneath, you know, who's behind that? Satan. Satan is working his evil. Satan is working his wickedness. And, and that made me think that, you know, I have to be careful of how I attack the leaders in our government. It's easy for us to get up in arms and, and be all hostile about, you know, our leaders. Look what you're doing. Look what you're doing this. And, and whatever your opinions and, and what you agree or disagree with or, or whatever. Because you know who's really behind all this? Satan is. He's the one, right? Our biblical response, what should we have for our leaders? What does the Bible tell us? Pray for our leaders. Because, first of all, most of them aren't saved, right? They need Jesus too. And second, secondly, they're, they're using their own wisdom and worldly wisdom. And thirdly, underneath it all is, is Satan. And they're puppets, right, of the enemy of our souls. And so it made me think, 
I have to be careful of my attitudes there. I don't allow fleshly attitudes, right? Hostile and angry things come into my own heart and allow that to live. Yeah? I need to see them as they need Jesus and I need to pray for them that God would give them wisdom on how to handle situations here that's going on in the world. I need to pray that they aren't puppets. Yeah? So that should be our response because behind it all is Satan. Now take a look at verse 4. Just the first part. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. You can stop right there. We'll just take that first part of verse 4. Then John sees this, and John is told that there was a time now when, when Satan, this dragon, took his tail and symbolically just swooped his tail, swiped his tail, and took a third of the stars with him. So what are these stars? Well, it tells the stars of heaven. And that gives us a clue. It's not Israel. It's not what we saw with the woman, the crown of stars. The third of stars of heaven, it speaks of angels. In Job, in different places in, in the Old Testament, like in Job's, Angels are, are, are spoken of as stars. Like in Job 38, 7, how at the time of creation, God was telling Job, the morning stars sang. They praised God for the creation that God had made. So angels were, were, were spoken of as stars. So this dragon took his tail symbolically and swiped one-third of angels. Who are these angels? These are the fallen angels. Fallen angels, these are what we call demons. So the dragon or Satan took with him in his rebellion from God an army of fallen angels that we call demons. So understand that's where demons come from. That's the, the, where they originated from. It's not just, oh, there's this evil force and, you know, good against bad. No, they're angels. They're created beings. Even Satan himself is a created being. What, what happened with him? Well, we know in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14, that Satan was this high cherub, this high-ranking angel, basically. Uh, some say in Ezekiel 28, verse 13, from the old King James, that, that he could have even been the worship leader because he had timbrels and pipes and, um, in the old translation. It, it, it says that. So some even think it could be, we don't know for sure, that maybe he was a leader in worship, but he was a high-ranking angel either way. And we know this angel Satan, we know from Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 and 14, you can read that later. But Satan got full of pride. He, he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be lifted up. He wanted to be worshipped like God is worshipped. And he wanted all the glory. And you know what I was thinking? I thought, oh, that's exactly what this guy, the Antichrist, is going to want, right? As we've been talking about. He's going to want to be worshipped. He will require the word world to worship him as God. And that, that's exactly what, what Satan did. And so he fell in that way. He became Satan when he lifted himself in that pride. And then it seems as though one-third of all the angels in heaven now, the fallen angels, they bought into Satan's pride. And you know what? This is a new word for today in our society. In his entitlement. Yeah? Think about that. I'm entitled, yeah, to be worshipped. I'm entitled to be like God. In his self-seeking pleasure. In his entitlement. You know what? Every time I think about this, and every time I think about Satan, and how he fell, and how he took all these other demons with him. You know, I think about, that's how Satan works in our lives too. He wants us to focus in on me, right? Our pride, right? What we're entitled to. To be seeking self, things for self, right? He touches that humanness, that sinful flesh of us, and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's good, yeah. Who can, they can't tell me. Yeah, and he, and he touches on that entitlement. You know, I was talking to Pastor Ron 
um, while he was here, you know, thank, I praise God he, he shared with us and thank God for his message too. And, and we were talking about how society today and the millennials are, they're like this entitlement society. And, he, and when he said that, I thought, that's true. And then as I was studying this, I thought, you know what, that's like Satan, yeah? And he likes to play that game and strategy on people in pride and entitlement. You know what, is our downfall too. It could be your downfall, too. C.S. Lewis once wrote this. The utmost evil is pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. That's so true, you guys. It's the most anti-God attitude you can have. Pride. The entitlement. Why? Because we're supposed to what? Surrender to God, right? We're supposed to submit to God. We're supposed to die to what? Self, right? Deny ourselves. Take up the cross and follow Jesus. It's not about me anymore. It's not about uh, um, what I want and I got a demand from God. No. It's about God's will in my life. It's about what, what He wants to do in, in me. I mean, I don't belong to myself anymore, right? I was purchased by His blood. I belong to God now. I am not my own. I'm a child of God, right? And so, be careful when Satan sneaks his way in here. And I I think us Americans here, we're more susceptible. Because we... Praise God, we live in a, 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 a land, well, so far, where we do have freedoms, yeah? Where, where we can live and where, where, we, where we can make choices, and, yeah? But if you cross that line into pride and flesh and I'm entitled this, oh, Satan's starting to reel you in. And you know how to stop that? Just pray and say, God, I don't want it to be about me or my pride. What do you want, Lord? And even if it's the hardest thing to do in the whole world, emotionally, mentally, physically, if God wants that, then you do that. You surrender. You be that living sacrifice. You submit. Because we know God has the best for you, right? All right. Let's go on here now to um, second part of verse 4. It goes on in the middle. It says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour her. So here's God. He's going on with the, the, this, this picture on the screen, right? The woman, the dragon. And, and now here's the pregnant woman. And now... We're seeing in this overview of this long war with Satan, we see this woman now, Israel, right? And, and the Messiah is about to be born from her. Well, here's the dragon, Satan. He stood there. In other words, he's constantly watching over right there with the woman, constantly in the face of Israel. For what reason? Well, he wants to devour. He wants to eat up. He wants to destroy and kill this baby that's coming out. Who's the baby I already mentioned to you? The Messiah. Why did Satan stay ready to kill the Messiah? I'll tell you why. The dragon knows that Jesus is the prophesied one to stop and defeat him in the end. He's the only one. No one can stop him. Well, course except God and God's sovereign control over the world but but in his reign and terror that he's been doing in this long war he knows Jesus is a prophesied one to stop him he's the only one and to defeat him in the end that's why so he wants to kill the Messiah being born turn back to Genesis go to the first book of the Bible once again and go to Genesis chapter 3 and we'll see what Satan knows here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, this is after the fall, after Satan brought sin into the world by tempting Adam and Eve, and, and then 
this is where God was dealing with this, with the curses and all with Adam and Eve. But with the serpent, with Satan, now, he prophesied this. And we would see this. And I don't know if you know this, but this is like the first prophecy on the Messiah, on Jesus Christ, ever here in the Bible. And here in Genesis 3.15, God says, Speaking to Satan now, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So we see here in, in the end that when Jesus will be born of Israel, he will be an offspring. Satan will bruise his heel, meaning the cross. But Jesus will bruise, or a better word, there's crush his head. So this is the prophecy that Satan knows that in the end, Jesus, the Messiah, is the only one who can really, really stop him. Now, who's this offspring of Satan? Well, we're going to see that's the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will be at enmity yeah, with the woman Israel. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. And we'll see more of that unfold, God's people. So think about this. From the beginning, Satan has been at war. This is the long war, you guys. Yeah. From the beginning. And when, when, when there's this clue coming out that there will be a Messiah, a Savior, that will crush his head, that will kill him, right? Maybe Satan will bruise the heel, yeah, but that's not going to stop Jesus, right? But crushing the head, you know what? That means pff, dead and gone, stopped, right? So Satan knew that from the beginning. Because of this clue, this prophecy, Satan been all out against Israel, right? The woman at this time. All out war, trying to stop the baby to be born. Trying to kill the baby when the baby came out. He tried to wipe out the nation even at early stages. I mean, think about it right away, right? Adam and Eve had, had two sons, Cain and Abel. What happened? The godly Abel was killed by Cain, trying to stop him there. Or remember, um, here's some highlights, right? Well, I can go through the Old Testament. We can talk about a lot of scenarios, but just some highlights. Remember when Pharaoh had all baby boys drowned in the Nile River because the Jewish nation was was growing so big he didn't want any more of these guys right but God saved who Moses right and Moses ended up being uh, God using him as a deliverer right of the nation of Israel out of Egypt or how about when Satan tried to wipe out all the Jews right with Haman remember Haman evil Haman who got a law passed that hey on this certain day everyone can go out and just kill all the Jews isn't that crazy what a law that is, right? Oh, we can just go out and kill these people, this race of people. Crazy, right? But we know the story. God used who? Esther, right? The book of Esther to save the people. Or coming back to, getting back to Revelation 12, you can turn back there, how Satan's waiting, right, to devour the baby. What happened when Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Herod, right, put it up that all toddlers, two years and under, were to be killed, right, in that area. Because he had heard from, from the wise men that the king of the Jews, and in his jealousy and rage and pride, there's a, there it is again, right, put that edict, edict out and killed all the male babies. Who's behind that? Satan. You see God's overview of things? This is all Satan, the dragon, trying to kill the one who is prophesied to defeat him. So understand the hatred we see against the nation of Israel. Satan's still trying to wipe them out. You, you know, the Iran um, mission is to, their words are, wipe out the nation of Israel. If you think about what's going on with Hamas or Hezbollah, you know, and, and, and other nations, people trying to make peace, you know, between, but they don't really want peace. 
Through all the years, Israel's been, oh, we'll give you some land and let's make peace. Oh, we'll give you this. We'll make some peace. You know Israel supplies the infrastructure, the water, electricity, and everything to the Palestinians. They're, they're trying to help. But the reason that doesn't do anything, all these, these steps that Israel's made to make peace, is because Hamas doesn't even want Israel there at all. Who's underneath all that? Satan. That's why there's so much, the word is right, anti-Semitism, right? Hatred of the Jews in all of the world. And you'll see it pop up in, in the news here and there. Because Satan is bent on destroying Israel. Understand Satan's hatred for Jesus too, right? The Messiah. So of course he hates Christians too who believe in Jesus who've come to faith. So he's bent on destroying us too like he does with Israel. And I think it's not just killing, yeah? Christians being martyred, yeah? The threat of being sentenced to death with the Taliban in Afghanistan. Did you know that that the number one dangerous place, country, in the world for Christians is North Korea. Number two is Afghanistan. Number two. So there's places all over in the world where Christians, their lives are on the line. Satan, Satan wants to destroy Christians. But not only that. He does, that's not his only strategy. He likes to come against us. He likes to tempt us. He likes to deceive us. He likes to lead us astray. And he loves to do that with fleshly temptations, with, with our, uh, uh, someone hurting us or getting us angry, and so he draws us away like that. He wants us, he, he even get, brings false truths. Yeah? And with the false truths, you know what? He'll, he'll start rolling that in your mind and then now you don't like this person. Now, now there's division. Now there's division in the church. Now there's division in your family. Now there's division in your marriage. He, like, he wants to destroy you guys. Don't be deceived by him. Because you know what? This is what he does in the world. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, I was thinking about this. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Keep that in mind. Yeah? You want to you, you, you like get your sights right? Put them back on Jesus. Put them back on the light of the gospel. That's why we're here, you guys. To bring people to Jesus Christ. To, to know his word. To see the glory of Christ. Sometimes we get all caught up in this darkness around us. And we get off, off track. But you know what will write us? Getting back to Jesus, guys, and his word. And glorifying him. All right, so this, it, it's, it's tough, our battles here with the long war of Satan. All right, so we've seen the woman, the dragon, and now number three, the child. And this is the last verses here, verse 5 and 6. Look at verse 5. It says, She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. We'll stop there. So God's continuing this overview here, how Satan tried but failed, right, uh, to, to get at the Messiah, to stop the Messiah, and the Messiah who is to rule the nations, right? Who, who's, who's that? Jesus. He's the king of kings, and he will rule with a rod of iron, in other words, with power and authority and, and in a way that no one will able to conquer him. We're going to see that at the end of Revelation, from Revelation 19 on. And so this child is ruling eternally because he is caught, he was caught up, right? God caught him up to heaven, and now he sits on the throne forever and ever. What's that talking about? Take a guess. Jesus' resurrection, right? The devil tried to bruise his heel, tried to get rid of him, tried to have him uh, uh, be put on the cross and killed and his influence no more. 
But we know the story. It only made Jesus stronger, right? It only made the gospel go out. He paid for our sins, and now we have salvation. When he died and he freed us, right, from the bondage of sin, he rose again, right, and conquered death and sin. It only made Jesus stronger, yeah? And his mission, that God's plan came all about. And now Jesus sits on the throne in his resurrection. So who else could this child be? Well, clearly the child is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So uh, this is the child is brought up here. The child is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, God brings us in this overview to the time of the tribulation. Satan is angry. He, he, he couldn't get the child. He couldn't stop the purposes of the Messiah. So you know what? He's just mad. He, he's turning now his sights on Israel, on destroying the woman. And this brings us into the time of the tribulation. We see the woman fled into the wilderness. Why? The dragons after her. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, when the abomination of desolation happens. And remember, I've been talking about that over and over. When the Antichrist stands in the rebuilt temple to declare himself God and require the whole world to worship him, including Israel, including the Jews. And Jesus warns them in Matthew 24, you know when that happens? Run! Flee. Get out of there. Don't go back for a cold. Hopefully you're not pregnant or with a small nursing a baby because these are dangerous times because the Antichrist is going to come after you to kill you. And that's what we see here. This is talking about this time in the tribulation. But God, he will have a hiding place for her, protect Israel. And look how long. It says at the end of verse 6, for 1,000 uh, 260 days. We've seen that before, right? 42 months, we've talked about that. And what does that equal out to? Three and a half years, which all this connects and coincides with the last half of the seven-year tribulation, right? When the Antichrist stands in that temple and declares himself God. Isn't that amazing? It's right here. We're seeing it right here. So, Satan's going to get angry. And at that point, when the Jews won't worship the Antichrist, he's going to have the Antichrist and his armies go after Israel. But God will protect him. So this child, the child who is the Lord Jesus, will protect Israel from being destroyed by Satan. And that's really the last thing I want you to see here. The child who is the Lord Jesus will protect Israel from being destroyed by by Satan. Now, many believe that that the safe place that God has for Israel is not too far from the land, and it's in Jordan, and they believe it's in the rock city of Petra, Petra, um, south of the Dead Sea. You remember maybe some scenes in Indiana Jones, or for you younger guys, Transformers. Yeah. Uh, I think there was a scene in there in, in this rock city of, of uh, Petra. It's not easily accessible. Um, when we went, the times I went, a couple times went to Israel, we didn't go down there, but I have friends who went, and there's these passageways to get in there, like between these high rock cliffs, and it's only like a shoulder's width. So it's easy to protect. It's, it's easy to, you know, stop, you know, enemies and all to come in. And so, uh, it, and, and in that area, in the rock city, in the rocks and caves and everything, they say it can house hundreds and thousands of people. So some believe that that's the place where God will keep them safe in the wilderness out there. I heard one businessman actually started to store like supplies in there and put Bibles in there and tracks and stuff in there too. But Honestly, no one really knows exactly the place. I mean, God might just protect them, you know, kind of glory, you know, like uh, against Pharaoh's army like he did. But we know God will do that. We know, right? This is our God. Romans 8, 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
Yes, we're in this long war. Yes, as Christians, and, and we're still part of all this as we, as we see God give us this overview of this long war of Satan of, with Israel, the Messiah, his hatred, his battle, how he's trying to destroy Israel, trying to destroy the works of Jesus. We're part of that. But no, if God is for us, who can be against us? There's no fear. Uh, I, I was just sitting, meditating on that verse. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? And of course, that song pops in my head. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? And you know, we sing that. Oh, we build that. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? No one, right? He's the, he, our God is a lion, Right? The line of Judah, he's roaring with power and fighting our battles, and every knee will one day bow before him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. Yeah? We're free. We have Jesus. We're forgiven because of Jesus, and he's in our life, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. If God be for us, who can be against us? So, sort of a dark passage, and we're talking about Satan and the long war of Satan. But we know the light, the truth, yeah, that our Lord Jesus, who's prophesied to stop Satan and end all this one day, is true. And it will happen, and it's coming. Know who's stronger. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what kind of maybe battles you've had and spiritual warfare that's been going on. I, 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 I felt like I was going through a lot of stuff and then I thought, oh, well, no wonder. I'm preaching on this chapter, yeah? And then I'm thinking, oh, no. I got to do the other half of the chapter next week. <laughs> but you know what? It's okay. I know who's going to win in the end. I know who's stronger. I know who to cling to, yeah? We cling to Jesus. We cling to our Lord. We cling to our Savior who loves us and has forgiven us and we belong to Him. And and we're His people. We're His children. We cling to Him. Martin Luther was once asked how he overcame the devil. You know what he said? He said, well, when he comes knocking on the door of my heart and asks, who lives here? The Lord Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin Luther used to live here, but he's moved out. Now I live here. Then the devil, seeing the nail prints in his hands and his pierced side, takes flight immediately. I love that. I love that. So there's no fear, no worry. Remember, I've said this before, we fight, but not for victory, but from victory. Jesus has already rose again from the dead and is resurrected. So we know God is one and will win in the end in this long war of Satan. Let's pray. Lord, we are inspired, God, in a sense by what we see because we know an end is coming and and the enemy of of our souls, he doesn't like it. And he's going to fight hard against the nation of Israel, against your purposes and plans, against us, Lord. And God, we, we are nothing. We, if, if we were on our own, it would be the shortest war in history. But in this longest war ever, God, we know in the end that what we read in your word will come true and Satan will be defeated. He has been when you died on a cross and rose again. And now, Lord, we fight, but not for victory, but from victory. And though there may be skirmishes and battles and hard times and we may even get wounded, we know in the end that you will win out, Jesus. And so we cling to you. And so, God, I ask, God, I cannot stand in my own strength or power. But, Lord, I ask for your help, your strength, your armor, God, your power and ability to be upon us all. God, help us to keep our eyes upon you and not be 
taken up with the darkness of this world. But may we hold to what we know is true, that you are light and you are truth, that you save God and that you love, that you are more powerful than and mightier than anything that Satan can do, and nothing is too hard for you. Let us keep our eyes on your word that is true and keep to the mission that you have given us, Lord, here on this earth. Oh, Lord, I just want to survive sometimes, God. But I know, Lord, we can in you and we will. So I pray for anyone here in this room that's been battling God. It's been hard. It's been fierce. It's, 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 they barely made it here. I pray for anyone online that, that's, that's come in and is hearing this, Lord, and seeing this and, and, and been in the Word with us, that you would encourage them as you encourage us right now, Lord, that you are God, that you are Savior, that you are the winner, and that we are on the winning side. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Help us today. May your spirit fall upon us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.